first Sunday night of each month is generally when we try to have a question and answer night. And generally several of you have given me various questions and I am collecting not only them but some more. Not too long ago I got a question that is going to require more than just a short amount of time. The question, why are we different from other churches? As you begin to think about this, this is really one that demands some honest inquiry. It calls upon us to say, are we doing the right thing? Are we following what God wants us to do? Or are we following what man wants us to do? When Paul wrote the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5, he said, examine yourselves whether you are in the faith, test yourselves. Do you know what that really means? That means that I have to look at myself and say, am I preaching the truth? Am I following what is in the Bible? Am I part of the church that God established through His Son, Jesus Christ, the one which God expects every person to be a member of, whether they choose to do so or not? Serious questions deserve serious answers. More than just the quick pat, okay, here's the answer, here's the answer, and It would be very easy for me to just, you know, throw out something quick, but I don't think that would be right, and in fact, I don't think it would be fair. Let me state in the very beginning that there's no need to impugn the motives, again, I'm going to say, the motives of other people when we study this. But wrong is still wrong. And when you and I go to the Bible, we have to recognize whether it's us, our families, our friends, does not change what's right and what's wrong. In fact, I want you to listen to Paul as he talked about his brethren in the flesh. He said, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear the witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. You go back to chapter 9 and verse 1, and he talks about his kinsmen according to the flesh. He said, I want them to be saved. I, I, I want them to do what is right before God, but... It's not the fact that they lack zeal. I have friends, I have family that are part of other churches. I don't believe that most of them that I know and those people I'm assuming that you know are people with bad intentions. In fact, I I would imagine to say that most of them are people with the very best of intentions. But many times these kind of questions come because teachers are failing to do their jobs. Those who preach the gospel are not calling upon people to take out your own Bible and make sure that you know the difference between right and wrong and why something is right or why it is wrong. I want to go to the passage that Brother W.C. read just a few moments ago and I want you to listen Ezekiel is looking 
at the failure of Israel. Ezekiel is saying, this is why God took you into captivity. This is the reason why you as a nation are no longer worshiping me like you ought to be worshiping me. He said, her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. Now listen carefully. They have not distinguished between the holy and the unholy. Nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbaths so that I am profaned among them. Folks, here's the truth. If I, as a preacher, don't do my job to try to explain to you, this is why we do what we do, because it's what the Bible says. If I don't distinguish between right and wrong, good and evil, I have failed at my job. And we've got to make sure that this question is so important, you just can't skip over it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 7 and 8, even things without life, whether a flute or a harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? I want you to imagine somebody blows a tune on a flute, a trumpet, and they blow the same note, one right after the other, and someone says, what song was that? I don't know. The reason why you don't know is because there's no, there's no going up and down of the notes. There's no the length of them. And you say, oh, I see. You've got to have a distinction. When you start talking about going into battle, you know you play the, the trumpet plays a sound for charge, and then there's another for retreat. And here's a guy who plays a sound, and somebody says, what does that mean? Are we to go forward or are we to go back? What if the person speaking and preaching and teaching is not clear, is not distinct enough to say, well, is this right or is this wrong? In Habakkuk 2, verse 2, God said, or the Lord said, write a vision, make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. Oh, God said, as one of our songs says, make the message plain. What this is going to do is involve at least two lessons. My plans are to speak tonight on the first of these, and that is why. With the emphasis on why are we different from other churches. Then Lord willing next Sunday evening will be how are we different from other churches. These two really need to go together. They really need to be studied together because if you don't understand why you won't understand the how of them. And here's what I want us to discuss tonight in this lesson and I'm only going to address one question tonight. And I'll talk about the distinctiveness of God's people. There needs to be an understanding, first of all, that God expects there to be a distinction. Number two, directions for pleasing God that we derive from the Scriptures. Not that we somehow make up these rules on our own, but we derive them from the Bible. And then number three, disastrous consequences if we don't do this. So again, first of all, about distinctiveness. 
The Bible calls God's people special. Now, we live in a world today that doesn't want there to be anyone special. Some people don't want there to be a winner in a ball game. They don't want there to be a winner in an election. They don't want there to be a person who is better than or lesser than or higher than or lower than. We live where everybody wants everybody. Really, you know where that comes from. Socialism, communism. that says there are no higher than lower. While God loves and wants all to be saved, nevertheless, the saved are the special. Now let me explain for just a minute. I know you're familiar with passages like John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Or 1 Timothy 2.4, who would have all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Or 2 Peter 3, verse 9, who's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself. Listen carefully. A special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. God said through Moses, you Jews are my chosen special people. Chapter 26, verse 18. Also today the Lord has proclaimed you to be his special people. Just as he promised you that you should keep all his commandments. God said to Israel, you are special. Now when we get to the New Testament, Israel is no longer God's special people. They had a purpose. God used them to bring the Savior into the world. But when I go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, to the church, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people. His own special people. You see, there's a truth that that God's people are distinct. They're not like the rest of the world. There's a call for distinctiveness and a separateness of God's people from this world. And I could really spend a lot of time here, but I'm not going to. Leviticus 18.3, he said, According to the doings of the land of Egypt where you dwelt, you shall not do. And according to the doing of the land of Canaan, where I'm bringing you, you shall not do, nor shall you walk in their ordinances. You see, where you came from, Egypt, you don't do what they did. Where you're going, Canaan, you don't do what they do either. God said, I want you to be special. I want you to be distinct. Deuteronomy 12, 29-31. When the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations which you go to... Uh, dispossess and you displace them and dwell in their land. Take heed that you you're to yourself that you're not ensnared to follow them. After they are destroyed from before you that you do not inquire after their gods saying, how did these nations serve their gods? I also will do likewise. Do you understand what's going on? God said when you get in there and you hear, oh this is the way the Jebusites worshipped. You don't do that. 
You worship the way God has directed you to do it. 2 Corinthians six seventeen. Therefore come out from among them. Be ye separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. God said, I want my people to come out of the world to be separate, to be distinct, and to be different. Revelation 18, 4, he said, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. I don't think it takes a whole lot more convincing to recognize that God wanted his people to be distinct. But he wants his people to be distinct not only from the pagans of the world, but even of distinct from worshipers that may be hypocritical, that may not be doing things right. You know, I, I listened to the Lord in that great Sermon on the Mount, and I'm trying to listen to it like I'm sitting there hearing His words as He speaks sitting on top of that mount. And you get to chapter 6, and He says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing on in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they receive the reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. Do you see the distinctiveness? Jesus says, I want people whose heart, whose soul, whose goal and their intent is to do what is right. So you see the distinctiveness. And let's talk about some directions. Our Lord was making a trip from Galilee to Judea. He made a trip going through that central part of the country known as Samaria. In John chapter 4, he arrives at Jacob's well and he sends his disciples into the city to buy food, but he has a conversation with a woman there. She's a part of a religion that says that Mount Gerizim is the place where they ought to worship. That's what her religion says. And she has questioned Jesus, recognizing that he is a prophet now. Where is it we're supposed to worship? Our fathers say we ought to worship in this mountain. The Jews say we ought to worship at Jerusalem. And here's what Jesus responds. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Let me just draw a few quick things out of this. When you say God is spirit, God's not like a man, and because He's not like a man, He's not going to lie. He's not going to need to repent. When God says something, He will do it. He's spoken, He'll make it good. That's the essence of Numbers 23, verse 19. When you look at God, you're not looking at a man. You're looking at the divine. And when you worship the God of heaven, you don't bow down before some image. You worship 
the one who has the right to tell you all things. He is the creator. He is the sustainer of this world. Hebrews 1 and verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Chapter 11, verse 3, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. We're not talking about worshiping any and every being. We're talking about worshiping the God of heaven. And worship them must be in spirit. The spirit of the inner man. Proverbs 20 verse 27 says, The spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. Oh, you mean when I worship, I need to be praising God with my heart, my soul, my mind? Absolutely. You see, when we sing the songs, we sing with spirit, we sing with the understanding also. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 15 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 11 tells us that no one knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him. That's what he's talking about. The spirit of the man who is in you. How do I know this is likely what Jesus was referring to? Because Joshua 24 verse 14, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. Parallel. To what you read in John 4, 24. Worship Him in truth. Truth. John 17, 17 said, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So what that means is that when it comes to what you and I say, what you and I do, in our worship and our devotion to God, must come from God's Word. Can't come from anywhere else. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 8. You shall not do it all as we're doing here today, every man doing what is right in his own eyes. You see, when it comes to choosing... What one must do in religion, it's not whether I can do what I want to do or you can do what you want to do. It is strictly what God wants. And when you start saying, first of all, why are we different from other churches? I think you've got to step back and say, God didn't give a confused message. What you have in this world today are people who somewhere along the line have chosen to do what is right in their own eyes rather than what God has said. What this boils down to is two different perspectives. Several years ago, I know several of you remember the classes I taught on the denominations. In each of those classes, every time before I would mention a particular denomination, I would go and meet with the preacher of that group and ask some questions. And it's apparent, it's clear, you don't have to to worry about this not being true. You see these two different perspectives. The first one is, we can do anything God has not forbidden. So if in the Bible God doesn't say, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that, 
We can do it as long as he just doesn't say don't do it. The other perspective is we can only do what God has permitted us to do. I hope you see the distinction between those two. Because what you find when a church gets together over here and they say, okay, what are we going to do in our worship? One says, let's go to the Bible and see everything that God has told us to do. Let's just do that. Let's don't do more. Let's just do that. Other ones would say, well, we can do some of that, but let's do some other things. I want to offer God this. I've got a talent in yodeling, so I want to yodel. By the way, I don't have a talent in yodeling. But you understand, people think, if I've got a talent in this area or that area, then God will take whatever I offer as long as he's not told me don't do that. Well, now, does the scripture address that? And the answer is yes. You see, if I go to the Bible, I can find an answer to that question. Do I do only what God has permitted or can I do anything that God has not forbidden? Let's take some steps here. Let's go to Colossians 3, verse 17. We often quote verse 16. Verse 17 is so important. And Whatever you do in word or deed, Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now when you read that phrase, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. You have to ask yourself, what does He mean in His name? I'm not left to wonder about that either. Because when I go to the book of Acts, chapter 4, And I go to verse 7, I go to verse 10. There's a question that has been asked of the apostles. And when they had set them in their midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? You see, when they ask the question, By what name, they're saying, Where did you get your authority for this? Who permitted you to do this? Their answer, verse 10, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. You want to know where we get our authority? You want to know where we got our power? And by the way, both of those are together in verse 7. I can tell you where we got our authority, where we got our power, by the name of Jesus Christ. Okay, so that means I need authority. Well, someone says, well, okay, you can have authority. But does it have to be specific? Do you remember under the Old Testament, God designated the various tribes, the the sons of Jacob, the Israelites, if you will, They had a land portion of where they were supposed to settle. This is Reuben's land. This is Issachar's land. This is Dan's. But he didn't give any land to the tribe of Levi. 
he gave them a job and gave them the tithes that goes along with that. When you get to the book of Hebrews, chapter 7, the question comes up about the high priest. I've already told you what tribe he comes from. He comes from the tribe of Levi. Now listen carefully to what he says in chapter 7, verse 14. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood. If Jesus is on earth, he can't be a priest. Well, why not? Because he's from the tribe of Judah. Ah, now listen carefully. If we can do anything that God has not specifically forbidden, then Jesus could be a priest from the tribe of Judah. One could be from the tribe of Reuben. Another could be from the tribe of Issachar. Because he doesn't say, you can't be priest. But here's what he does say. The Levites will be priests. And what that means is only the Levites can be priests. So here's the, the lesson. Silence is prohibitive, not permissive. When the Bible does not say that we can do something, we can't do it. Why? Because we don't have authority. We don't have permission. I hope that sinks down because when you start saying, why are we different from other churches? It comes from the approach to Scripture. Can we do anything or can we do only what God has authorized us to do? Let me appeal to your common sense for just a minute. When you sign a check, you authorize the bank to release the amount of money that you've designated. Let's say, for instance, that I write Brother W.C. a check for $100. And I sign my name to it and I put $100 on there. Do you know what I've done? I have authorized 100 only $100, not 105 or 150 I've authorized it to him because I have made it payable to him. And to prove that, I have signed my name. The scripture is God designating who, how much, and it's in his name or by his authority. Let me give you another illustration. One probably a little more common to some of us. When you order from Amazon, you would not accept and pay for items which you did not order. Even though, let's say, for instance, the person there at Amazon and you order... X, Y, Z, and they say, you know what? I think they'd like this and this and this too, so I'm just going to put it in their order and I'm going to charge it to them. And when it arrives at your house, you may say, oh, that's nice, they gave me something, but they charged me for it. I know what you would do. You'd call them up on the phone and say, I didn't order this and I'm not going to pay for this. What about what God has said that He wants in worship. What about what God has said with regards to the salvation of man? 
Which brings up an idea then. How does God authorize us in the Bible? How do you and I know when we go to the Bible what God wants us to do? First of all, it's by direct statements where he just comes out and says to us, do this. You know, it doesn't take a whole lot of, of understanding to realize what Jesus said in Mark 16, verse 16. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but who does not believe will be condemned. Or Acts 2.38, then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Okay. Do I have authority to go out and preach and teach? You need to believe, you need to repent, you need to be baptized. I absolutely do. Because the authority comes from Jesus. Then there's examples in the Bible. Now, not every act that we read about in the Bible is an example. You know, there's some things that people did that they weren't supposed to do, some things they did that were not approved by God. You know, Matthew 27, verse 5, then he drew, threw down the pieces of silver in the temple, departed, went and hanged himself. That's not an example for us. Or you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 20 and 21. Some of them, when they assembled around the table... We're taking their supper some ahead of the others. And he said, some are hungry and another is drunk. That's not an example for us. That's bad things that were being done. What you have in the scripture is, if you have something the church is doing, that they were instructed to do by an apostle or by our Lord, and you see an approval on it, that becomes your pattern. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 16, Paul says, Therefore I urge you to imitate me. Chapter 11, verse 1, Imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Philippians three seventeen, Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us as a pattern. Hebrews 8, 5, Who serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. See that you make all things according to the pattern. You see, there's, there's things in the Bible that we can see are patterns or examples for us to follow. That's the way God authorizes us. As we see what the righteous church did in the first century. And God authorizes by implication. Now... A lot of people get confused and start saying, well, you can just say anything implies in it. You can say it if you want to, but it doesn't make it true. What implication involves is taking everything the Bible says on a subject. For instance, Hebrews 11, verse 6, but without faith it's impossible to please Him. John 8, verse 24, if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Mark 16, verse 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. I know that the Bible demands faith. But when I go to Acts 2, verse 37, those people who were pricked in their heart, they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter did not say, believe. You know why? Because they were already believers. That's implied, or they would not even ask the question. So when you and I go to the scriptures, it involves taking it all, everything, to understand. Then number 
4 is expediency. And again, some people have an idea that we can just call anything an expedient if you want to. No, not really. Expediency involves the choice of the best option for fulfilling an obligation given by God. If you don't have an obligation by God, you don't have an expediency. For instance, Matthew 28 and verse 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I've got to go. But God didn't specify, Tony, you've got to go by the back of a camel. And so what option I use to fulfill that obligation is an expediency. When you and I do something that fulfills that obligation, then that becomes an expedient. Very quickly, this is taking longer than I thought it would. Disastrous consequences. Because you see, we're in a quandary. We're here and and you move into a town, you move into a place, you, you find friends... And they say, would you come go to church with me? Okay. Now I'm in a quandary. Do I choose to do what the Bible says to do or what makes other people happy? Well, let me give you some examples real quick. You remember 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 4 and 5? The children of Israel came to Samuel. They said, give us a king. Make us a king. To judge us like all nations. We don't want to be different. We don't want to be odd. We don't want to be distinct. We want a king. Ezekiel chapter 20 verse 32. What is it you have in your mind shall never be when you say, We will be like the Gentiles. Like the families in other countries. Serving wood and stone. Oh yeah. Religion sometimes says, We're going to do this. And. God said, not my people. You're not going to do this. Galatians 1 and verse 10, when challenged about making the Old Testament law binding, Paul said, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? If I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Folks, here's here's the bottom line. Either you're going to do what God tells you to do or you're not. And when you start asking the question, why are we different from other churches? What if a church ceases to please God? Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, he said, if you don't change, I'm going to remove your candlestick. You're no longer going to be a faithful church to me. 2 John 9, whosoever transgresses, the American standard, whosoever goes onward and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. Why would you want to follow those who are in a church that does not please God? Matthew 15 and verse 13. But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Why are we different from other churches? We're trying to follow the pattern given to us by God. If we are not doing that, please... 
say, here's where the scriptures show that what you're doing is not correct. Being different is not bad if it means we're pleasing God. And like Jesus, we ought always to please God. I want to end with John 8, verse 29. And he sent me, is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things which please Him. Would you do that tonight? Would you, and I've already mentioned several passages of Scripture which talk about faith, talk about repentance. Matthew 10, 32 and 33. If you'll confess Jesus before men, He'll confess you before the Father in heaven. To be baptized for the remission of your sins. You can do what God tells you to do. If you're a child of God and you need to be forgiven because you've wandered away, we can pray with you. We're going to sing number 584. And if you're subject to the Lord's invitation, would you come as together we stand and sing.